There's incredible wrestling that abounds across all of the spaces, and we're covering it today from death before dishonor to blood and guts, and we're getting you ready for the Great American Bash. This is The Faction. What's going on, family? Happy Tuesday. Welcome to another edition of The Faction. I am Gerard Bonner, and I hope you guys are doing well. Yeah, so I know it's been a minute. I know uh, if you've been following things that have been happening with me, both personally and professionally, you know there's been a lot that's been going on. Uh, We're just back really about a week or so from a trip to Vegas where gratefully and thankfully, you know, kind of the things that I've been doing in the music community were honored and that was pretty awesome. And a lot of things have happened in the wrestling community as well. So there's plenty to talk about. We obviously can't cover it all in this one setting, but we're going to do our best to kind of get you updated on some things. Let me first say thank you to all of you who continue to stay connected to what we're doing here at The Faction. It certainly means the absolute world. I definitely appreciate you. I appreciate all of you guys who have worked so hard to stay connected to what we're doing as well. If you're brand new, welcome aboard. There are lots of places you may have connected with us. And so we thank you for that. And if you're new, make sure you're giving us a follow at The Faction Show across all of the social spaces and make sure you are following us in those spaces as well. All right, guys, so let's get into this incredible show today. There's a lot to get into, and I was thinking we'd work backwards, but let's not. Let's at least go back to this past Wednesday. AEW presented Blood and Guts, its version of War Games, which we can certainly say here, kind of the difference between its iteration of War Games and the WWE's iteration of War Games, besides the fact, of course, that WWE has the trademark for the name is AEW's War Games, aka Blood and Guts, could arguably be more true to the original format of the War Games, meaning that there is a top on the cage, and there certainly is, and the fact that they call it Blood and Guts means that they intend for there to be blood, and lots of blood there was, as the Golden Elite which is the team of Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Hangman Page, and the AEW debut of Kota Ibushi took on and ultimately defeated the Blackpool Combat Club, who also happened to team with Pac and Konosuke Takeshita. So there's a lot to talk about with this match. You've probably already seen it. If you haven't and you're a bit squeamish, you may not want to watch. There were all kinds of things involved in here tables, chairs, tacks, and a bed of nails, to which I think that the bed of nails might have gone a little too far, and here's why. I don't know that any of us have ever been on a bed of nails. Thankfully, I have not, but one nail is enough. 
getting your body slammed on that, I figure would probably have far more puncture wounds than we saw. And this arguably is one of the challenges that AEW has had historically with matches like this. We remember what I believe was the first Blood and Guts match, which happened there in Jacksonville, and it ultimately saw Chris Jericho going through a table, but it was very, very clear that they were crash pads. And so when things kind of fell, it didn't work the way that they thought it would. It kind of also reminds me of the exploding death bomb match, right? Where again, at the end of this thing, you expect everything to blow up and it ends up being light fireworks, heavy emphasis on the light. So I think it's a challenge for some of what AEW wants to present in terms of being highly violent, rather gory, and yet somehow keeping your wrestlers safe. It's kind of a tough space to be in. With all of that said, I do think it was still a very entertaining and intense match. And again, we get blood and guts for free as opposed to it being involved in a pay-per-view, which, again, many think this probably should be a pay-per-view concept, and honestly, most people would certainly pay for it, but then you also ask which is more valuable, the pay-per-view or the weekly ratings, which will pull more eyes potentially on the product. Either way, a strong showing for AEW. That led into AEW Collision, which this week, and don't mind us bypassing Rampage. It's not that Rampage isn't a good show, but you know, at this point where it is taped in an era of live, it just hits really differently. I will say though, congratulations goes out to Darby Allen, who won that two ring rumble match, ultimately defeating and eliminating Swerve Strickland. And then we saw a TBS title match as well. Chris Statlander continuing to do big things by defeating Marina Shafir. Moving to AEW Collision, I think Collision, and I don't know that we've had enough conversations about Collision here, but we're going to try and do a better job of that. So if you are watching AEW, I know there's a lot of questions of should we watch Collision or not? I mean, it's on a Saturday night. Saturday night, you know, is not necessarily a night anymore for wrestling. And as we're moving into, you know, next week, really its first test as Collision goes head to head with SummerSlam. And then following that, it'll be going head to head with college football and the like. We'll cross those bridges when we get to them. As for right now, I think we've got to acknowledge that Collision is a great show. It really, really is. It feels different. It looks different. Commentary's different. In-ring content is different. It's shot different. Like they've really worked hard to make sure that they are presenting a different product different than AEW Dynamite or Rampage. And I would argue that right now, in terms of what we're seeing on our televisions, Collision is the best show and feels like the biggest show in the AEW arsenal. What we're watching right now, which I think is interesting, is the maturation and further development of Ricky Starks, who of course won the Owen Hart Men's Invitational Tournament. It looks like there's actually some things really being done with that, or so it seems. Here he gets another win in a tag team scenario, this time over CM Punk and Darby Allin, which is a big deal. Like getting a win over CM Punk two weeks in a row. Yeah, big, big deal. 
shout out to him and shout out to all things that are happening there on Collision. And speaking of AEW and Collision, we cannot dismiss the craziness that's happening in the tag team division, FTR, the world tag team champions, this coming Saturday will defend against the winners of the Blind Eliminator Tournament. That's MJF and Adam Cole. And I've got to say, MJF and Adam Cole is the tag team we didn't know we needed. Now, I think we all are sitting and saying at some point, They're going to turn on each other. It's going to turn into a world title match, and it's going to be really ugly. But the content that we have been getting on the road to that is making me say maybe they need to rethink this. It could be a scenario where MJF and Adam Cole are better together than they are apart. Somehow MJF has become a massive face, which is crazy to me. But then we're seeing the entertainment, like a full dance-off happened this past Wednesday on Dynamite, which was completely unexpected, and it was absolutely crazy. Like, how do you not enjoy this? And, of course, AEW, which tends to be presented for the hardcore wrestling fan, could not deny the power of the entertainment value, and I put it in air quotes, of a segment like that and some of the other segments that we have been seeing on AEW television. So MJF, Adam Cole, I think we're on to something. And the real test will be what happens this coming Saturday night on Collision. Do we actually think that MJF and Adam Cole win the world tag team titles? If they do, it puts MJF in a very interesting situation as he becomes the only athlete in AEW history to simultaneously hold the AEW Men's World Championship and the AEW World Tag Team Championships. Now, that's interesting in and of itself. Now, Kenny Omega, of course, was the first person to hold both of those championships, but he did not do that simultaneously. So that'll put MJF in an interesting space, an even more interesting space for someone who, by his own admission, doesn't like actually wrestling. Now you've got two titles to concern yourself with. I don't know. If FTR wins, it seems like it's the obvious breaking point for MJF and Adam Cole, but they're having such great success. Their merch is the number one selling piece of merch in all of AEW for the year, which is kind of crazy to consider given all that AEW does with merch. So I'm interested and I want to get your thoughts. What do you guys think of this team of MJF and Adam Cole? Should they become the World Tag Team Champions? Should this extend for a lengthy period of time? Or are we leading to perhaps a world title match between the two of them either at All In in Wembley Stadium or All Out in Chicago? Let me know your thoughts right now on the socials at The Faction Show. So with that said, we need to dig into Ring of Honor. They had a full pay-per-view that took place this weekend as well. And we'll dig into a number of things happening with WWE, including what appears to be now the formation and finalization of the SummerSlam card. All of that's coming up when we come back. This is the Stroke Daddy Ricky Starks, and you know I only do it one way, and that's big. You're now listening to The Faction. I've known Dylan since he was 15. I've known what a crazy fanatic he's been. He never just went and played. So what are you doing? Well, you know, I gotta plan the show first. He wants to be the guy 
shaping. Dylan used to run shows back in his hometown and ever since he moved to Atlanta, I know that he's been really wanting to start his own company here. I had that fear of not being what's interesting in Atlanta. I said, I'm gonna start my own wrestling promotion. You need to get in a room with this guy. Because at the end of the day, wrestling had grown stale in Georgia. I'm like, dude, this guy's ruffling everybody's feathers. Dylan learned that I'm impatient, and I announced that we were gonna start a promotion 90 days later. And I knew that I had no content, but that I started to see all the things that he was doing. It was starting to look really professional. Gary had stirred up so much shit. We were gonna be the laughing stock of the entire city if we didn't deliver. Perception's reality. How did we get on Southern Honor? What was the process of them walking over there like, I'm gonna do that? I thought, honestly, he was dead. You hear his brain swelling. I literally thought Southern Honor was probably done. You always told me, if you don't like an idea, come up with a better idea. You're telling me you won't listen to the idea? And we're gonna pack 1,000 people! I couldn't wait for an answer from Chris. We weren't sure. No confirmation. Casey Mace is taking How about that? Oh. The lights are going out here. The first indie show I've ever done in 23 years was with Southern Honor, and now everyone's talking about this company. Nothing bigger than that's ever gonna happen here. Florida a few minutes later. It was extremely hard to maintain relationships because I was working with Gary. I don't know that they would go to war for me. They would go to war for Dylan. Finally, this year is going to be mine. COVID. I can honestly say my last match will be here just because Southern Honor is that special to me. So many things that have happened in my life that you could write on paper and it would read as a book. And Southern Honor is just another chapter. As long as there's a win, there is a you that will always be the S-H-W. This is Caprice Coleman, and you're listening to The Faction on Bonafide Radio. That's right, the mount, the style, the grace, the shape, and the faith. Support Bonafide Radio, The Faction. Keep it on, baby. All right, it's time to talk about Ring of Honor's Death Before Dishonor pay-per-view. That pay-per-view took place this past Friday night in New Jersey. The first pay-per-view we've seen from Ring of Honor since the Supercard of Honor back in March. And this one was certainly interesting for sure. The pre-show, also known as Zero Hour, featured four matches, which included Josh Woods defeating Tracy Williams in a pure rules match, Action Andretti and Darius Martin defeating the Work Horsemen, Layla Hirsch defeated Trish Adora, and then A.R. Fox defeated Shane Taylor. Now we move to the main card of the pay-per-view, and it started off with Gravity defeating Commander. Samoa Joe defeated Dalton Castle to retain the Ring of Honor World Television Championship. Aussie Open defeated the Lucha Brothers, The Kingdom, and Best Friends to become the new Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions. The Mogul Embassy, that's a team of Brian Cage, Bishop Khan, and Toa Leona, retained the World Six-Man Tag Titles by defeating Leon Ruffin, Master Wato, and Ryusuke Taguchi. Then Katsuyora Shibata defeated Daniel Garcia to retain the Pure Championship. The Dark Order defeated The Righteous and Stu Grayson in a fight without honor. Claudio Castagnoli defeated Pac to retain the ROH World Championship. And the main event 
was Athena defeating Willow Nightingale to retain the Ring of Honor Women's World Championship. So let's start with an interesting piece of history as this pay-per-view made history for Ring of Honor, becoming the first pay-per-view in the history of the company to have a women's match main event the show. So let's start by saying congratulations to Athena and Willow Nightingale, who more than earned that honor. Athena, arguably the hottest champion in all of Ring of Honor, and between Ring of Honor and AEW, she's won the most matches, though she was defeated again by Willow Nightingale in the semifinals of the Owen Hart Invitational Tournament that would lead to Willow ultimately winning that. That created kind of the extra story for this. What a match. What a moment. And it's still kind of crazy to me that, again, this was Ring of Honor's first time having the women's championship and women main event, the pay-per-view. But in fairness to that, this is probably the first time that they've had a strong enough women's division to do so. So congratulations to them for putting seminal and primary focus on the women's division and being willing to pull the trigger with this particular moment. So let's talk about some standout moments from this pay-per-view. Again, Ring of Honor, for the most part, delivers really strong pay-per-views. I will say this in fairness to Ring of Honor, that given the pay-per-views that they've given us, certainly in this new era of Ring of Honor, I think that this might have shown kind of I don't know, I'll say this very respectfully, one of the lighter versions of the stories that they've been telling. I think that they had the potential to give us bigger matches. For instance, the world title match literally was built on the heels of what happened 48 hours prior at Blood and Guts. Now, granted, Mark Briscoe, who was initially advertised to be in that world title match, had a knee injury, so they needed a way to fix that, but still kind of a wild moment there. In terms of great matches, I think that this pay-per-view did the best it could with what it had. And here's what I mean. I'm thinking specifically about that six-man tag match. Bishop Khan, Brian Cage, and Toa Leona against Leon Ruffin, Master Wado, and Taguchi. So for those unfamiliar, Master Wado and Taguchi are from New Japan Pro Wrestling. They are the team known as Six or Nine. With that, there really hadn't been much lead-in to this team. This team kind of felt random and thrown together, though they did have a great match. So that was kind of concerning because it, clearly the six-man tag division isn't strong enough as Mogul Embassy has really been running all over them. The world tag title match I thought was amazing. It's great to see Aussie Open winning those titles, though it's felt like the Lucha Brothers tag title reign has been a bit lackluster. We haven't seen them defending the titles or on Ring of Honor all that much as of late. And one of the most recent matches that we saw involving Ray Phoenix saw him actually getting a shot at the World Championship. It was a great way to introduce gravity to the Ring of Honor audience who had an amazing match against Commander. Samoa Joe defeated Dalton Castle. I don't think that was a surprise. Shibata versus Garcia was probably far more entertaining than any of us ever imagined it would be. And herein proves the point about Ring of Honor, that this roster is willing to work hard no matter what. And so one of the prominent stories told throughout Ring of Honor over the last few months has been the Dark Order versus the Righteous and Stu Grayson. It came to a head in a fight without honor, which arguably for me is the best I've seen the Dark Order look 
in a very long time. They looked strong a couple of weeks ago in a match on Rampage against the Elite that they actually won. But this one really felt like the kind of dark order that we were once afraid of when they first began. All in all, I thought it was a really solid pay-per-view from Ring of Honor. I would like to see some additional things happen with Ring of Honor, and hopefully we'll get to do that in the coming weeks. Now then, let's shift gears and head over to the WWE because there have been some significant things happening there as well. Let's first start with the history that was made, yes, even more history made, this time by Dominic Mysterio, who becomes the first superstar in WWE history to main event Raw, NXT, and SmackDown all in the same week. That's absolutely phenomenal when you consider that. And you consider Dominic Mysterio winning his first bit of singles gold, defeating Wesley for the NXT North American Championship last Tuesday. I don't know that any of us saw that coming. But I think it's an absolutely brilliant move, building on the strength of the Judgment Day. And it makes me wonder, could indeed the trigger be pulled for Finn Balor at SummerSlam to become the new World Heavyweight Champion? If he does, there's no denying that the Judgment Day now becomes the strongest faction in the company at the moment the bloodline has imploded imperium is doing well but the judgment day is really running the show the flip side is i feel like there's a degree of pressure on finn balor if he does not win the championship he'd really be the only one in that crew that doesn't have some sort of gold or power whether that's money in the bank the women's world title or the nxt north american championship so i think there's a lot of pressure on finn balor and i'm hoping that finn balor pulls it out i'd like to see finn balor as the new world champion with that said another great set of shows for raw smackdown nxt and of course raw last night shout out to the wwe who continues to make even more history they were in mexico over the weekend Two shows, over 25,000 people, the largest shows in the history of Mexico for WWE. WWE's in a special place. Pro wrestling is in a special place. And I know my good brother and friend, Brandon Clack, and even Courtney Beard would argue the merits of the Attitude Era, and we're never going to get the Attitude Era back. But I think we can no longer deny just how hot wrestling is. And I told us a few years ago that we were entering into into that period once again i of course was told i was crazy by those two guys but they're wrong i'm right <laughs> i'm sure they're gonna blast me for that but you can't deny the numbers are proving what we're saying the revenue at the gate the merch all of it is proving what i'm saying and even the mainstream impact so shout out to the wwe who's preparing for its first PLE premium live event within the 48 states of America since WrestleMania. Now, of course, we know Puerto Rico is an American territory, and that's where we saw backlash. All of the other premium live events have been international. So this is going to be a very interesting moment. SummerSlam coming up. And we're now getting a clearer picture in terms of what SummerSlam looks like. We're going to have a world title defense as Seth Rollins takes on 
Finn Balor. The Universal Championship will actually be on the line in a tribal combat, which I think will be crazy between Jey Uso and Roman Reigns. We now know as well that the WWE Women's title will be on the line in a triple threat match involving Bianca Belair, Charlotte Flair, and the champion Asuka. We also know in terms of women's action that there will be a quote-unquote fight between Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey makes me wonder if they're going to get into the pit, if they're going to take the ropes away and let these two ladies duke it out MMA style, which only stands to make sense since it's being rumored this might be the last we see of Ronda Rousey inside of a WWE ring anytime soon. I also wonder if there will be additional stipulations added. We'll probably find that out next Monday. In addition to that, we also know that Brock Lesnar versus Cody Rhodes 3 will be happening at SummerSlam as well, and that is being deemed as one of the main events. So I'm guessing we're going to have a triple main event involving the two world titles. Title matches and this Lesnar Rhodes match. I'm guessing that Jey Uso versus Roman will close the show. Still lots to be determined in terms of what happens with the Women's World Championship held by Rhea Ripley since she has now taken out Raquel Gonzalez and Liv Morgan. Who will step up for that? Who's going to end up being in the space for the Tag team titles makes me wonder if that'll be a Judgment Day moment as well since it seems as though we're leading to that. Very interesting. And before we leave, we've got to talk about the fact that, of course, tonight's episode of NXT will be the go-home show for the Great American Bash, which I think will be very interesting. SmackDown took place in Orlando Friday night, and we saw a number of NXT stars present. But perhaps the piece of news that has got a lot of people interested is Bobby Lashley's backstage conversation with the NXT champion, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. Now, we saw him in a conversation the week prior with the Street Profits. Are we getting some new version of the Hurt Business? I don't know, but I'm excited because I do feel like these conversations are leading to somewhere special. And so I am grateful. I am excited to see what's going to happen. And we'll obviously keep things locked and keep you informed of what's going on here, courtesy of our podcast. So here's what I want to do. I want to get some feedback from you guys and find out what subjects would you like for us to discuss? Are there things that you'd like for us to do videos on as well? Let us know all of those things via chat. You can DM us as well. We want to make sure we're covering some of that material for you as we are in the second half of the year. Lots of great opportunities are available to us. All right, guys. Again, another big week in wrestling. NXT goes down tonight. Then, of course, we've got Dynamite happening tomorrow night. Impact, which is doing great things. Shout out to Trinity, the new Impact Knockouts champion. And really, a lot of titles change hands over at Impact as well. So that's pretty cool. We'll be talking about that at some point. You've got SmackDown and Rampage on Friday. Saturday is Collision. And then Sunday is the Great American Bash. Until next time, representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray. I am Gerard Bonner. And this is The Faction. I my people here.